Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Good evening, everyone. This is season one, episode 18, our final uh, episode with Dan Turner of Shippensburg, PA. Uh, in this episode, we're just talking tips and tricks, uh, maybe some ideas on uh, uh, regional groups uh, within the association and a few other things that uh, come to mind as we uh, end our conversation with Dan. So I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah. Caleb, you mentioned the uh, article or the, the, well, I guess it's the, the new feature uh, column that I'm, that I'm writing now. Yeah. The, uh, uh, here's how I do it. So mm-hmm. I, I feel that I learned a lot of what I'm doing on my own, uh, even though I say mm-hmm. about joining the association and that because I, I joined the association, I can go to these seminars but uh but there wasn't anyone to tell me hey whenever you you know whenever you vaccinate here's the mechanical parts that you would use to do this whenever i yeah. go to those seminars they would say and here's when you vaccinate and here's why you vaccinate and mm-hmm. uh you know and you you got certain uh ideas of you know what to use but as far as the type of vaccine, but I never actually went to any seminar where they would show you, let's say, six different types of guns and explain to you that if you have this many animals, it's probably best to do this or this many animals and you do that. Uh, I started out with so few animals and I, I you know, took the course at Penn State that I was supposed to vaccinate my animals. And I'm like, wow, I guess I should do that. So I bought some vaccine and I bought a whole bunch of syringes and a whole bunch of needles. And so I'm, I'm sucking, you know, two milliliters into the syringe and I'm injecting that and I'm changing a needle and I'm sucking another two in and I'm injecting that. And it was taking so long to do that. And I was actually yeah. injecting myself as, you know, a couple of times a day. And, and at the beginning, I'm worried what's going to happen to me. I, I really, yeah. you know, I didn't know. But you're wrestling animals with this, you know, one inch needle and, and, and you're not yeah. always poking it where you think you're going. So just things like that, that, that nobody, I've never worked at a sheep farm before. So I didn't know any better. So I learned these things by studying 
the catalogs, the for sale catalogs, and 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 saying, huh, if they make this thing, people must think it's a good idea to buy it. So if they're buying it, what are they using it for? What should I be using this for? So the one I just did it on, you know, on back guns and trench guns and yeah. and things that you know just changed my life. Whenever I found out that I could be using a gun on the end of a 250 milliliter bottle instead of <laughs> individual doses, uh, yeah. you know, and the same thing for you know the scales. It's like I didn't, I I didn't know what to do for scales, and I wanted to be cheap about it. Uh, mm -hmm. So I tried a variety of things and here's what I did. And, you know, if, if you want to try this, don't be afraid about it. So I'm just trying to share things that I, no one shared with me that I think can save somebody some time and money and frustration. You're doing, uh, you're doing with your article, what we're doing with the podcast, you know, yeah. is, uh, cause I, I, I was in the same boat. I mean, uh, when we had four to 20 sheep, it was all good. And then after a while, you're like, I, I know the guy with a thousand sheep is not <laughs> yeah. these little doses with this $15 syringe. I know he's not doing that. So, so I hit up some guys, uh, that I know had, you know, six, seven, 800 sheep. And, and I made a Facebook post asking basically, unless you have 500 to a thousand sheep, do not reply. You know, I want to know what you guys are using for syringes, for, you know, any kind of tool tips and come to find out those, those things don't cost very much different money than what I was using, you know? So it, it wasn't necessarily that it cost me any more money, but it cut my time in half, you know, and the little Steramatic deal, I seen that in your article, man, that thing is awesome. Nobody told me about that. Uh, lucked up on it, or, or I guess I might have heard it from somebody, but man, that thing's huge, and and I recommend that to everybody. I mean, it is so simple, so easy, and a you don't get stuck near as many times with that thing on the end of a needle, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's all about just knowing what's out there, and uh, and you don't know who to ask. You don't, no, like you said, uh, we go to uh seminars uh we just had one here so so I, i've got this big cooler that's made for vaccination these these vets came up with this cooler it's pretty cool and it's got a place for your uh your hazmat needle i mean to put your needles and stuff in so you can hmm. dispose of them it's got a cooler in the bottom it's got trays and uh and it's pretty cool because instead of carrying everything out in the field and two or three five gallon buckets i got this cooler with everything in it and it's got extra syringes extra needles extra everything i use is in that thing and i took it to a um small ruminant class that we have to do every three years here in my hometown and my goal was to have a I mean, there's probably 120 people there at this deal and and i wanted the opportunity to open that up and show everybody the tools that i use uh, mm -hmm. because most of these guys are new guys too. And, um, but the extension, the extension world didn't want that. You know, they, they wanted to go over, you know, the, the medicines and where to give the shot and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's all good. But these people don't know what to buy. 
they're only buying what tractor supply has, you know, because that's all they got. That's all they know. Uh, so anyway, we never, we never got to, uh, open up the cooler and show everybody all the cool stuff. So maybe later, you know, uh, just thinking about things that have helped me probably the most, uh, mechanical wise is the, uh, Shearwell, the EID system. We okay. used to take yeah. a whole weekend and we would go through our flock. And at that mm -hmm. time, our flock might've been 120 ewes and maybe we would have, you know, 200 or so lambs. But for us to get through those 300 animals, it was a two day affair. And yeah. the problem was, that if, if we had them all together, now we had a we had a pen of 300, so we can only get through about 150 a day, and that meant that we might end up if we had to keep them that the group we could get through went into this field, and the group we didn't get done yet stays in this field. We were separating moms and lambs, so we knew that it was wrong to do that until we're ready to wean. So we had to have a way that we could process everybody in one day. Yeah. That's where we, we were at a expo. I had been thinking about it for, you know, a year or so. Uh, and Lynn Farmeyer did a, like an impromptu uh, sheer well demonstration one evening that really wasn't even on the agenda. And sometimes they're the best. Mm-hmm. So it's like we got to ask him some questions. We got to see how the scale could Bluetooth to the handheld unit. We saw how the yeah. handheld unit could read the ear tag. And it's amazing uh, that that it could take us before at least a minute sometimes to read an ear tag on an animal that went into the crate because it would put its head down in the corner and the tag would be dirty. And you're trying to spit on the tag and wipe the tag and reaching down in, trying to get the animal's head up. And between two of you, you're kind of waiting to see who can focus on the number the quickest to yell out what the number is. And then you're going through a couple of Excel spreadsheets to find that number on the <laughs> paper. And then you're reading the scale, yelling out the weight. They're writing it down. And if there's anything that needs to be done to that animal, they're looking at the notes and telling you about it. And then finally, you're doing your procedure and moving them on. Well, with the EID, we cut it down. If we're not doing procedures, we're just weighing animals and moving them on. Uh, or looking for a couple animals that need procedures. We're going through three animals a minute uh, on the scale, weighing them off the scale. Next one's on the scale. And it could even be speeded up more than that. Uh, but that's just what the system that we have right now. We're moving our animals that used to take, we're doing more animals, and we can do the whole flock in four hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it what used to take me and Kim, you know, a half a day to do 25. <laughs> you know, yeah. you you get to wrestling 150 and 60-pound ewes, and then they're, they're lambs, and, and it's hot outside, and, oh, my gosh, it just, it just wore you out. Um, I think the, the expo was in Indiana because yeah. we had planned on, uh, 
Uh, I was going to bring some stuff. Lynn was going, I brought my reader too. And we were thinking we might could just show people. And Lynn brought his, he actually brought his scales um, or his uh, platform or his load cells anyway. And, um, but I don't remember if we got them hooked up though. Uh, I was thinking there was a glitch or something after we got there, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a, no doubt of time. The software is kind of hard to get used to. You know, I started over probably three or four times, you know, I would get to a point like, Oh man, I, I should have done this. Uh, you know, so I would delete everything and start all over. I did that three or four times probably. Yeah, my wife does the software, so I'm fortunate in that uh, respect. She she takes care of a lot of the accounting type, you know, data accumulation and, and all that. Nice. Good to have a good bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what's really that's what's making us successful is I do my part, she does her part, and uh mm-hmm. We, we both share the NSIP uh, numbers and strategies, and, and that's kind of a common uh, thing yeah. that, that, that we both can uh, you know, sit and discuss. Yeah, you can, you can discuss what you're seeing out in the field. So you can discuss what she's seeing on paper and how those mesh and where you guys need to go in the future. So that's, that's pretty cool. So obviously, you know, you've, you've been – kind of introduced to the industry a lot over the years um, from those first sheep back in um, you know early 2000s or late 90s um, what do you see as the the future of the sheep industry and how do you see that fitting into agriculture in general how do you see the industry changing um, how have you seen it change and how do you see it changing in the future Uh, well, you know, from being in the Northeast is, is all my perspective is really. And, and the farms over around here are generally smaller. Uh, mm-hmm. But I see, I, I see the small flock is, is something that I, is becoming more popular, I believe. And yeah. people are, are looking to be able to uh, raise some of their own food. Uh, and I, I know lamb consumption has been going down, but, but around here, I'm hearing more people, uh, that are talking about it and are trying it. Uh, it's, it's becoming more acceptable, I think in, in the, uh, uh, in the younger groups and, and mm-hmm. some some of us just never grew up even knowing that that lamb existed, uh, so we just weren't exposed to it. Uh, I think that uh, knowing where your meat comes from is a big deal, and people are wanting to make sure they have meat. Uh, I think that the katahdins, whenever you don't need to shear them. Uh, or dockum is kind of a more natural uh, animal that you're not having to put a lot of uh, effort into. Yeah. And uh, you don't have to put a lot of chemicals into them if you get the, uh, you know, the, the good parasite resistance. And uh, 
And there's another part of that that I, I think has a good good amount of promise always is that there's more uh, ethnic consumers now that are mm-hmm. are really leading some of the growth in in the lamb consumption. And so yeah. uh, with them utilizing lamb at, at different times throughout the year, there's more lamb being produced, uh, at least in this area. And it's making it a more profitable uh, uh, livestock to have. And therefore, you're getting more lamb being grown in these areas. And that in itself is going to push out more lamb to the general public. Yeah. When you look at, I mean, the amount of lamb that we import into the United States here, is just so incredibly high. I mean, I heard a statistic last year and, and it, it was probably just kind of an average, and, but it was that we don't supply enough lamb in the United States to supply Costco. Um, you know, we, we, and that we import a lot of lamb and I think there's really a potential for, for more production, especially like you said, in the small flocks, um, people just getting started that want to raise a lamb or two each year for themselves to eat. Maybe they want to raise five or 10 lambs for them to eat and, and, and raise more to, to sell to their friends and family. And I think that as we see that increase in growth, there's the industry is going to obviously change into some unique aspects where we'll have a lot of, a lot of new people um, that, that need help getting going. But at the same time, you have a lot of people that, that maybe, um, you know, it's a little bit of a different market. They're, they're not purely profit driven. And so I think, you know, there's an important element of, we have to make sure that we keep as, as seed stock producers, that we still remain picky and we select hard because those sheep will eventually end back up into the commercial realm. And if we're just selling pet sheep, um, yeah, they may work for somebody that's got five or 10, but, you know, having the numbers to back it up, um, kind of like you were talking in way, way earlier about having, having those numbers and having that data to really select for where you want to go, I think is, is really key to making sure that, that we keep our industry a viable industry, um, for the long-term potential. So, so I have a question that <clears throat> we've not asked any other guests, but along the same line is, uh, so, so as a current board member of the association, what could the associate, what, what could we do to help producers more than what we're doing? I mean, wh- what, what else could, or what else do producers need from an association is that a good question i mean like we advertise we we've we're advertising more and more venues magazines and stuff and and online to help educate and to help draw uh, a bigger crowd but what's the next what's the next step what else can we do to help further the breed you guys got any thoughts on that I think that the uh, I think there's people that are interested in sheep, but they don't know that a hair sheep exists. I didn't so, know one existed either. I yeah. I 
I've been told whenever I first said I wanted to get sheep, it's like, oh, you don't want to do that. Why is that? Well, because just the whole lambing process is a mess. And then you've got to shear them. And, you know, it's a very labor intensive ordeal. So I've talked to my two cohorts here in Pennsylvania that I associate with, uh, you know, with the NSIP and, and KHSI. There's not a, we don't have a, like any regional meetings, uh, like we did K-Day last year and we drew 40 people from several different states, you know, to have a little field day here at our house. Uh, so we don't have a lot of, of uh, networking in a local way. We don't have a Pennsylvania sheep group like you have the Tennessee and some of the other ones. So I think, you know, one thing is that, that we need to encourage more smaller regional groups to get formed. Uh, and then I think those smaller regional groups should be in charge of putting out the information about sheep can be raised, without needing sheared, without needing tails docked, and, uh, you know, they can be parasite resistant and, you know, excellent meat sheep. So I've talked to my buddies here about it, like, let's just take out an ad in the Lancaster Farmer and just promote the benefits of Katahdin's that, you know, it's a no shear sheep and you don't need to dock and here's you know what you can get out of it because so there I, is a, yeah there's a couple of breeders that go in together and have an ad and i, I don't forgot what magazine it is uh but there's some guys in louisiana texas mississippi and that region that run an ad in one of the magazines uh maybe it's uh i don't i don't know i'm lost my train of thought on what magazine it is, but that's a, that's a good idea uh, regionally, you know, to do a regionalized deal as far as if there's a regional magazine like the Lancaster magazine. Uh, but also a regional group would be y'all are in a great area for a regional group uh, that, uh, you know, we, we also feel like that's a next we've, we have this Craig grant deal where regional clubs can ask for, uh, funding to help sponsor events and stuff. And we've increased that and made it more accessible um, for regional clubs to do more. Um, but at the same time, you got to have, you got to have boots on the ground to do the work, you know, and that's, that's the thing. You've got a, a group of people, a core group there that, that could do that and get, get it started. And it'd probably do it be a great, uh, a great, training deal like your k-day that we did i mean you'd have that every year and would probably draw more people every year it would probably grow um you know people, yeah i think people education like, is the yeah people like tours people like hands-on you know they don't like sitting mm -hmm. in a classroom or or at a you know a venue watching slides you mm -hmm. know and I think oftentimes they appreciate a balance of both hearing from the, the quote unquote experts as well as hearing from, from farmers on the ground that are actually experiencing those things and that have money invested. Yes. Yeah. And actually having a balance of that, I think is, 
is helpful too. But yeah, education I think is is really the key to reaching new producers. I mean, you know, I see it here with with my work for the Wool Growers Association. You know, we have a large percentage of our membership is is farm flocks, and um, even with the big you know big range flocks that we have out here, um, you know, definitely the range flocks make up a larger portion of the sheep <laughs> in our membership. But as far as actual members go, um, and I think providing producer education is is really key to both get people to start and be willing to start raising sheep, as well as to be willing to continue and to, to give them what they need to to continue raising sheep. So when they have those tense moments out sorting sheep and you want to just be done with it, you go, no, I enjoy this. And it, and it works and you have the education there to uh to back that up so yeah i think education is is one of the and that's where i i really again appreciate dan what you're doing with your column about um your, your here's how i do it column because i think that is is really neat for for new producers um to be able to go and see you know what somebody else is doing um and, and you're kind of unique to do that because you know, in, in a fairly short amount of time, you've really grown your flock quite a bit. Um, and, and so, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that you were closer in size to what they were. And so they can relate to you, but also you can relate to the big guys too. And so, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the initiative to do that and for the work that you put into that, because I think that that really helps a lot of our, our new members. So, so I, I got to finish up my group question. Do you think we should be more aggressive in trying to set, help people set up groups in regional areas? Cause we kind of, we just kind of sit back and go, all right, Dan, you and Matt and Lee, you know, y'all get together and form a group versus, you know, us showing you how to form a group helping you with your bylaws, helping you get organized. Should we be more aggressive and pushing you guys to do that versus waiting on you? Yeah, I'm I would not, think I'm so. I'm saying you guys in general, but any, you know, like if there's an area, you know, like um, Illinois, there's a lot of sheep in Illinois, Ohio. Uh, should, should we be searching for producers in that area to develop a regional club? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I a lot of, like a lot of people that just don't volunteer. If you ask them to help, they will. <laughs> right. So right. They're not, uh, maybe forming their regional group, but nobody's asked them to. And, right. and actually our group, we've talked about it enough. We, we, we kind of go by, I think we have a, uh, a WhatsApp group name called like PA, Katahdin sheep gurus or something like that. We call ourselves. Uh, and so that's how that's we communicate. Snapchat? That's a Snapchat. It's, it's a WhatsApp. Oh, WhatsApp. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're constantly hitting each other up with, Hey, do you know what could be wrong with this? Or did you ever see this? Or, you know, check out, I got the best Ram that you've ever seen, you know, that kind of stuff where <laughs> we're, we're sharing with each other constantly uh, and just encouraging each other and, and, uh, sharing information. Right. Uh, but you know, 
we're ready to take that step, but it's the, you know, to take that step, I'm going to have to call somebody down at Tennessee Sheep Association and say, how'd you guys do this? Can I see all your stuff? Uh, because I don't know how to do it. Right. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So look out, man. We're coming after you. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> I I think it could happen in short time, you know? Yeah, I mean, because if we had – if because we, we especially hear it from the Northwest. Um, you know, y'all never come out here. Yes. For no, just kidding. <laughs> but, but you got to go where your membership is. Exactly. And yeah. I don't, uh, I don't so, blame – I don't blame it all for not coming out here because there's not as many members out here. It's one of those hard things where you're not going to necessarily build members if you don't have events and stuff, but at the same time you can't, you have to, you can't put the rest of the membership through a, a poor sales or whatever. We're having to drive clear across the country. So, I mean, I, I've heard, you know, talks about doing like a second sort of like mini expo, like that kind of thing makes more sense than than hosting the expo and well, that's back to the regional deal if if, yeah. if there's a group that got together in oregon washington idaho whatever and and put on a big enough event i mean that's that's back to the regional you know in, in the in the real world or not real world in a perfect world then all the regional clubs would take care of their area yeah you know, and have yeah. And out, out here, I think we're starting to see, so, you know, Pacific coast is kind of sort of getting up and going again. Um, and there'll be California, Washington or not, maybe not California, Washington, Oregon. Um, and then you have the Rocky mountain group, um, that's, that's getting started. Um, and that's, that's starting to gain a little bit of traction, um, and, you know, get, get some members. And, and so, um, next year our, event is out here in in dubois um idaho and uh at the u.s sheep experiment station which fun fact is where the uh katahdin breed association was formed um and so anyways coming back back to its back to its roots out here and uh gonna have both associations and it's kind of a neat spot now again i'm a little biased because it's like you know four hours from my house but um and it's idaho and so, I mean, how much better can you get? But, um, <laughs> pay for your water, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, so, um, you know, we're kind of right in between Pacific coast and the Rocky mountain region. And so, you know, hopefully get some, some people coming from both. But like you said, you have to have kind of a regional network in place, get people motivated, get people involved, and then after that, you can really start to see some movement and some momentum and, uh, you know, promote the breed and, and, and help the, the local people stay in it because they feel like they're, you know, they're being cared for and they have the tools they need to succeed. And so, yeah, I, th I think, you know, out here in the Northwest, um, yeah, I think you have heard from us probably a lot um, out here as far as, you know, future stuff, but I'm hopeful that that uh that's starting to starting to actually we're gonna have something so well if you go to the pacific coast uh, association website you'll notice tennessee is a is a state and their breeder listing thank you uh i did join one year <laughs> and, uh, 
Oh, really? I'm, I'm not a current member, but Tennessee is still listed as one of the states. <laughs> yeah, because when I think Pacific Coast, I mean, I, I think Tennessee, like right off the bat. I'm like, oh, absolutely. Tennessee. Oh, yeah, and Oregon and Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Oceanfront property. Oh, yeah. Well, Dan, you got any you got any questions or uh, anything for us? It's 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 getting really late now at your world. It is pretty late in my world. Maybe oh, really Jan, early. maybe Jan will have coffee ready for you shortly. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, and I have a I have a meeting an hour away from the house tomorrow morning first thing, so that's going to be going to yeah, be a quick one. But uh, no, I just think that uh, I think what you're doing is is a good service, and uh, you know, and then it's a question of where's the where's the marketing for uh, what you guys are doing for your podcast? How are you getting the word out? Man, mostly um, mostly with Facebook, uh, Instagram, and email, um, and, and our Facebook group. I mean, your Facebook group's got eight thousand people in it that all a like Katahdin's or are interested in Katahdin's. I mean, that's a, that's a big market. I mean, that's, I mean, we only got like 1200 members of the association you got 8,000 people in a Facebook group that specifically come to look for Katahdin sheep. Wow. You know, so, um, uh, I know, I know now, uh, it's kind of, me and Caleb share some statistics amongst ourselves and, you know, now it takes, uh, it usually takes about three or four or five hours once I upload a, a episode before it hits the website feed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the link I share because I'm wanting to draw traffic to our website. And um, most of the time I do it eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. So the next morning it's uh, fresh live and I'll share it to all the social media things. And and now, by the time I wake up of the morning after posting something, we've already got 25 or 30 uh, people have listened to the episode that I've not publicly shared yet. So so that's we've got enough, I guess, regular traffic that when they go to work of a morning or whatever the routine is and they're listening to a podcast, they're finding these episodes before I even tell them it's there. You know, yeah. so that's that's pretty good, you know, and, and we're going to reach out to other breeds here fairly shortly. So that'll, I mean, cause right now we've just been strictly Katahdin cause that's the people we know, you know, there are people. And, uh, so we're going to, we're going to reach out and that'll hopefully open up, uh, a whole different mindset of how people do things. Cause we only know what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, going back to the discussion earlier, I mean, you can learn from all sorts of different systems. I mean, there's not, you know, Katahdin certainly fit a, a great part in the industry, but they're not for everybody. Um, and just like any breed, I mean, it's not for everybody. Otherwise, everybody would have them <laughs> uh, by now. And, and so, you know, I think, no, I think Katahdins are a pretty fantastic breed of sheep, but you can learn something from everybody. And, uh, and so, yeah, it'll be fun once we start getting some other people on too and get them, get some more, uh, more knowledge and more wisdom. I mean, looking at, 
how I mean, how many years? We're we're probably over two hundred years of combined sheep experience so far. <laughs> Between all yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dan's twenty. He's twenty twenty one. You know, back in the uh, whatever this. I don't forgot. <laughs> Not Scottish Highlander. That's a cow. What's the Icelandic? Icelandic. Go. So you add his twenty. Yeah, we're we're probably two twenty. You know, two hundred twenty or two hundred thirty years worth of of experience that we've interviewed so far. So, um, yeah. And there's guys in Oregon and Washington and Idaho. I mean, that's that's five or six generations. Yep. You know, I mean, they've had they've had sheep for hundreds of years. You know, so um, and more than you know, one guy might he might he might have more die in a year than we've interviewed so far too. <laughs> you think about you know we've we've done a lot of years but really as far as number of of views you know I, I don't know if we've done a thousand head yet yeah one of our members out here he was running uh he, he's cut back a little bit since uh losing some grazing land to the the big horn regulations but he was running twenty thousand ewes and i mean that's a that's a pretty decent operation yeah, I checked it. We have a uh, uh, the Tennessee sheep producers have a uh, a wool pool, and okay. used to you know, Georgia, uh, Kentucky, Virginia, all brought their wool to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And the guy here that that took care of it, he marketed it out as a you know a truckload of wool or whatever. And of course, that's all kind of faded a little bit over the last couple of years and. And our we got two presses, and these presses are probably twenty thousand dollars a piece new, and we got two of them, and they're broken, they're broke down. So at ASI, we were kind of talking about, you know, hey, we need some help, blah blah blah, and and we applied for a grant to get a new wool press last year, and one of the board members are like, are you kidding me? I produce more wool on my whole farm than the state of Tennessee has sold in the last five years combined. And you guys want a grant to buy a wool press? Obviously we didn't get it, you know, (laughs) but uh, it's something that, that the little guys here need. They need a way to get rid of their wool. Yeah. They they may get out of wool sheep if you don't, you know, I I mean, I don't know, but there's no market for it already. So uh, anyway, yeah, just a total different world in, in the wool uh, generational farm. And I look forward to talking to those guys. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Dan yeah. can pick up another fancy gun or something that we don't know about. <laughs> you know, Robert, yeah, was... you might you might want to look around. If you do a little read of research, you might be able to find a trucking company that could load that wool press up or those wool presses and and maybe you could even find a hydraulic company that could Man, probably take care only of it. If only we knew somebody. And and actually, yeah. that got brought up tonight on our board meeting, is there's a shearer, uh, a lady in Maryland that shears a lot of sheep, and her husband does too, and he, he actually repairs uh, presses and knows a lot about them. And, uh, and I got approval tonight to kind of talk to him about coming down and looking at them. Uh, and then deciding, you know, are they worth fixing? Uh, how big of a deal is it? Do we ship them to Maryland? Cause I don't think it's a hydraulic 
it's more, I think it's more electronic because they got scales on them too. And, uh, and if you, there, of course there are several hydraulic leaks, you know, so it's possible that might be why they're not compressing as much. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to re, uh, relook that situation, try to use what we got, you know, and, uh, can't afford to buy a $20,000 press for $200 worth of wool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if we get up there and need some hydraulic work done, if we, if we get them to Maryland, look out, they're coming your way. <laughs> Be glad. Well, glad, uh, glad you were able to get on with us, Dan. We appreciate your time and, uh, don't want to keep, yeah, definitely. You we keep you up later than we already planned. So, See, it's hard okay. to do this in 30 minutes. I mean, you just can't talk about nothing in 30 minutes. No, we. Yeah, I think we yeah. got her done, though, in 210 minutes away, it looks to me. Yeah, it's, it's, we've got a lot of editing to do. <laughs> Man. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Thank well, thank you so much. With us. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Uh, talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. See you, Caleb. See well another another fun podcast uh, that was great to hear from dan and dan always has some some really neat insights um you know great uh great sense of humor and and some great uh, wisdom from all his experience it's so neat seeing somebody that has really grown their flock quite a bit and taken it from 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 just a small uh flock just for a couple of dogs to herd to a an actual pretty sizable production flock for the Northeast. And so um, great to have him on. One of the things that I, I took away was just, um, you know, the importance of really figuring out where you want to go with your sheep and starting with sheep that will help you get there. Um, and, and Dan had a, a pretty solid focus on that early on, you know, when he started buying his, his katans after he had a few, just thinking about, you know, and, and as he sorted through the, the Dorpers and the Icelandics, just he had a, a vision in mind for, for where he wanted his sheep to be, where he wanted to go. And he, he stuck to that and it's, it's paying off. And I think that's a lesson we can all take away just to really think about where we want our flocks to be, how we want to produce and uh, stick into what we need to get there. You know, that, that is a tough gig though, because think about it the last three or four guests we've had have all bought just whatever they could find cheap and, and evolved. And, yeah. and usually, uh, and I can speak for myself too. Usually we don't research something until we're into it. Mm-hmm. You know? So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can reach people that have not, um, invested too much yet <laughs> and make some changes on a smaller scale. Uh, but you know, like Dan did, you know, uh, he, he found out right away, if he's going to do it, you got to have better. And, uh, yeah. so he was, he was able to make a change fairly quick uh, mm-hmm. before he got to several hundred and decided, uh Oh, you know, this ain't what I need to be doing, you know? So, yeah. And I think it's one of the things too, is like we talked about on the podcast, there's sheep can be adapted to so many different systems that you may go out and research and, and those sheep may may not end up being specifically what you need in your system. They may not be tailored for your system. And so you have to kind of adjust a little bit, fine tune as you go. 
Um, you're always looking for, for better genetics, even when you start with good genetics. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think his, his advice to new producers um, is great. And, and hopefully people can take advantage of that. Um, you know, as we talked about probably 200 some years of experience already. And, and that hopefully people can, can take advantage of that. So they don't have, you know, they don't waste 50 years trying to learn what people have learned in those 200 years. So expensive learning and, and hopefully we get our, we get our video thing uh, fixed so we can show examples. Um, you know, the, the, uh, a syringe and the dosing and, you know, the steromatics and all those little things that, that I've had several people ask about. Those are, that's something we can put a visual to. So people, can see what we're talking about, the different ear tags, you know, all the stuff that uh, we use every day or not every day, but when we use it, we use it every day. <laughs> yeah. People can see what we're talking about, you know? Yep. Well, those sheep wear those ear tags every day. So every day. Every day. <laughs> yep. yep. So, yeah. so yeah. So for our listeners, stay tuned. Um, keep an eye on our website, on our Facebook page um, for updates. And, and pretty soon, hopefully we'll be having some video content as well. So if you're, enjoying listening to the podcast um you can hopefully watch us soon and uh i don't know if that's gonna you know i don't know if there's any benefit to watching us but watching the stuff we'll show will probably be kind of kind of fun so um anyway stay tuned again that's that sheepthings.com forward slash and it's is it podcasts i believe with an s yep yes yep sheepthings.com forward slash podcasts um to stay tuned or you can find us on facebook um, at cheap things. Um, and so, yeah, just stay tuned, keep an eye on our social media, keep an eye on, um, on our website. If you're on Apple podcasts, uh, subscribe, give us a, hopefully give us a rating and tell us what you think of the podcast. And then when you're done with that, reach out, uh, podcast at cheap things.com. And you can tell us some things that you may want to hear on the show. Um, you know, you're, you're wondering maybe, you know, Dan says, here's how I do it. And you're like, well, how do you do this? Well, send us an email, and that's podcast at cheapthings.com. And uh, we'll get get back to you. And then we're going to put it together here in a podcast coming up pretty soon. So that way you can hear answers to, to your questions right here on the podcast. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, reach out and, and look forward to hearing from us soon. Absolutely. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.